Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is Paul Smitten, entrepreneur and CEO of Asia Miles, and he's live in Hong Kong. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem, Simon. Happy to be here. Would you mind starting off by telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, maybe just start by telling you a little bit about me personally. I'm a, a bit of a mixed breed of sort of British immigrants, um, born in New Zealand, um, carry three passports, UK, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, lived in seven countries now and done 12 international moves in my career. So uh, currently living in Hong Kong, uh, have lived here for a total of eight years. Um, so really quite uh, varied international experience from uh, different different cultures and countries. So uh, makes I think that's been a big part of what uh, has shaped me over my career, having had all that uh, different uh, interactions with different places. So, um, you know, I'm a... Um, I'd like to I'd like to say I'm a, an entrepreneur. I, I work inside companies, uh, but I think that entrepreneurial spirit um, is a big part of what shaped me as well. And having to sort of learn to figure out how to get things done in different places really means you have to be quite um, quite innovative, um, be open to taking risks and experimentation. So I think that's a, probably a big part of who I am. And I always like to start off by um, asking guests perhaps to define what success means to you so that our audience can get a gauge of, of how you think. Yeah, look, I, I think it's very easy just to sort of focus purely on the, you know, the monetary outcomes in, in a business sense. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's about working together as a team to create interesting outcomes for your customers. Um, so for me, if you do a good job, uh, have fun with your colleagues um, really, really try to to do innovative things that are that are going to be valued by your customers. You then you then make money, right? That's that's sort of how how it works. And I spent a few years working for Virgin, and um, I think that was quite formative. Uh, Richard Branson's famous for his philosophy of look after your people. Um, you know, if your people are happy that'll lead to happy customers. And if you've got happy customers, you'll end up making money at the end of the day. So, you know, um, I think that's a really interesting philosophy and it's one that I personally um, really subscribe to. And so when I'm you know, with, with my teams uh, at work, um, it's all about supporting each other, doing, having some fun, creating good outcomes. Uh, and that's, you know, the, the, the financial success will come from that. Um, so I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Start with your people, do good work. Customers all like that. You'll, you'll end up being successful financially as well. Don't sort of start with the money. When you were younger and started out, I mean, of course, today you're a successful CEO of a successful business. And as you say, you're a, a, an entrepreneur inside inside that business, innovating and so on. But when you were younger, how did you think, how did you develop this philosophy of course working at Virgin sounds like it had an impact on you but where, where did you what were you like when you were younger did, a lot of my audience are younger I'm just trying to help them understand perhaps the path that they could take yeah look um, I think um, it's interesting uh, I, I 
growing up in New Zealand, New Zealand's a long way from the rest of the world. I think you, you often talk talk about New Zealand as having this, um, you know, more entrepreneurs per capita in New Zealand than any other country in the world. Um, and I think that's partly the sort of necessity as the mother of all invention. You know, when you're so far away from markets, you sort of have to think differently. So that's, that's a big part of my, my DNA, um, you know, growing up in, in New Zealand. And I think um, there's a, uh, this might make sense to anyone who's not a New Zealander probably in, on your audience, but I'll, but I'll share it anyway. But we have this concept of um, you know, a New Zealander can do anything with a piece of number eight fencing wire. Um, now that's, I'm not sure if you know that, um, what, what that is, but that's the wire that um, you, you connect your different fences around your farm. Um, and, um, you know, that, that idea, it's a bit like uh, you know, using a piece of duct tape to do anything, uh, maybe, but uh, that, that culture is, is really ingrained in most New Zealanders who are used to trying to figure out how to get things done in a smaller market. And I think it's played, played quite well, not just for me, but for for um, other New Zealanders you know, on the international stage when you have to be quite um, innovative to figure out how to get things done in different environments. So that, that would be, I think, how I would describe it um, from my perspective, I, sort of really in my DNA from an early, early age. Um, I was always looking for opportunities to try different things, open to new ideas. Um, so you know, leaving New Zealand in my early 20s um, a lot of that was to do with getting out, taking taking opportunities. So I moved to the uh, the US first, moved off to uh, the UK, then other other markets around the world. A lot of that was sort of opportunities that sort of just seemed to come my way. And I think um, being open to those things, then then you sort of maybe see more opportunities. So you've got to be. Yeah, so I think luck is a big part of that, um, but you've got to have a, a mindset that's open to trying different things in the first place. I think if you if you're closed, um, yeah, that's probably um, you know how how you sort of miss opportunities. You've got to be you've got to be open to it first. That's what I'd say to young people is um, you know be be quite open about you know seizing those opportunities and and you know you. you generally find that good outcomes will come as a result of being being open to ideas and, and opportunities. Um, yeah, so that's probably the big thing I would say. And and I think at a young age too, don't think too much about the long term too early. Um, you know, I think there's a, a danger that you coming out of university, you feel like you've been in the school system forever and you want to just get on and, and start being successful. But But actually, if I look back, I had a lot more time than I probably realized. Um, so I think I took those opportunities and it ended up pretty good. So I would say that to, to young folks. Do you think um, your education played a part? That's, I mean, I know New Zealand, again, for my listeners that don't know New Zealand, I, I know it quite well. Um, you know, it is definitely a place where it feels like people grow up with this idea that they will go out of New Zealand for a while, maybe come back later. There's almost that almost... A given feeling that you will you know won't be in New Zealand for the whole of your life necessarily although of course people do there is a feeling because it's a small place and there's a big world out there that they should go explore that and then come back was, was that part of your education was that part of your upbringing yes uh, absolutely so um, I think that's a, a big part of the the, the the psyche of a New Zealander is to to 
go and explore the world. There's a concept of it's called the, the OE, the overseas experience. Um, so everyone sort of thinks about doing their, their OE um, and some come back, some don't. <laughs> um, I think um, they're, they're, I'm not sure the latest stat, but it used to be um, used to be true that New Zealanders were per capita the most travelled people on the planet. Um, I'm pretty sure that's still true. But um, the largely because you have to go a long way to get anywhere. <laughs> I guess that sort of uh, is part of the problem. But, but generally speaking, you'll see New Zealanders for for a population of only four million. You know, popping up all around the world. It's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. So yeah, it's definitely part of it. Um, and, a, and a lot end up coming back. Um, but a lot don't a lot stay in different parts of the world. Okay. I actually think part, looking, I think going out and seeing the world is definitely um, going to give you leverage when it comes to being successful in life, because in part you get to understand culture and what is success for you when you're in your hometown, for example, having that experience and then you get out and then the real world, your success definitions can change, right? Because you see how other people live, what other people's um, focus is, their problems, for example, which can make you feel more grateful for what you've got back home, right? I mean, did you when you when you jumped into your first job? I look, you but first job was with Air New Zealand, right? Was did you take that job on because it was an opportunity to travel, or were you determined to travel anyway, and it just happened to be a company you wanted to work for? A bit of both, really. I, I think. I mean, in New Zealand, Air New Zealand is probably seen as one of the top half dozen organisations to to work for. Um, very highly regarded on the international stage as well for an airline that's a long way from the rest of the world. It, it's done a lot of innovative things. Um, so I think, you know, it's a, it's a brand that is aspirational to work for first and foremost, but, but absolutely that opportunity to go into an environment that would get you traveling, um, was pretty compelling as well. So, um, you know, they, they moved me first to Los Angeles and then they moved me to the UK. So I had two international opportunities, which were, really thanks to them. Um, also, if I think about Air New Zealand too, that they were the, the company that gave me the opportunity to um, really launch what has become my whole career. So, um, you know, I, I was given a job very early on to um, launch their first loyalty program. So I was 21, just out of university, and then suddenly given this job to create their first loyalty scheme. Um, build that from scratch and launch it and operate it. Um, and so pretty remarkable if I think about about that now when I tell people how young I was when I was given that role. Um, it, yeah, it's quite quite crazy, but I think that's not uncommon in New Zealand for people to get those sort of opportunities. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, really good. And I've always been open to, to taking on these sorts of challenges. I like it when people say to you, hey, what do you think? Are you up for this? Um, I'm generally going to be saying yes if I think it's a an interesting opportunity to do. So, so yeah, the New Zealand was pivotal. Got me, got me going. Got me overseas. Um, you know, led to the various opportunities that followed. I think a lot of people listening have this concept that an entrepreneur generally is someone out there just starting businesses on their own. And I know you've done that as well. So we'll get into that in a bit. But, but I, I think that you know concept of working for someone else um it, it perhaps talk about that a little bit how do you navigate that 
entrepreneurial free spirit piece within the context of a corporate structure and i and i guess part of why i think this is a good question to quickly ask you now is because it sounds like one the way that air new zealand did it is at 21 years old they gave you your own loyalty scheme to build out which felt like your own business you were building from scratch right so they gave you that chance young but a lot of people don't get that in business is that is that how you managed to contain your entrepreneurial uh, wish maybe to go out there into the world and, and work instead inside corporations and be an entrepreneur? Yeah, no, and, and I think for me, I've always had this this um, view on work being making sure that it's meaningful. And so when I'm um, in, an, in a company, I want to make sure that what we're doing is still the right thing so that we're not um, just doing a job because it's, it's there. We're doing a job because it's about creating something. Um, and I, I think about my upbringing and my, what my parents taught me <laughs> as a child. Um, they used to talk to me about um, adding value, making sure that you're contributing. Um, and you know, coming into a business environment, my dad used to say to me things like, so did you earn your salary today? Did you you know, deliver more than you, you cost the company sort of thing? Um, and I think, that sort of philosophy is quite entrepreneurial as well because it's, it's thinking um, how do I make sure that what we're doing is um, making the place better? Um, and it's almost like thinking as though it's your own, your own money. And I, whether I'm doing my own entrepreneurial effort um, for myself or working in the company, I'm always trying to think how do I make sure that it's, it's value adding, not taking value away. So I think, some some people inside companies sort of lose sight of the value that they bring, um, and that's where uh, companies can go wrong. And I, I think innovative companies have that entrepreneurial spirit. They they think about how do we do a better job, how do we add value, and that's that's should be in any company, whether it's your own money or or somebody else's. You should be thinking that way. Is a big part of my DNA, um, and having that sort of as I say, entrepreneurial or innovative spirit within a organization, whether it's yours or, or someone else's. I think that's a very interesting point, bringing value. I know for a lot of people that are salary based, sometimes it is about what they can get from the company. I think the bit I find really interesting, what you're saying there, what I'm people to pick up on is that there is some element of probably you've been successful because you're also thinking about you know, are you worth that? Are you bringing that value to the table? And, and that's how entrepreneurs think. I mean, ultimately, I when I work on something, I, I want to work on something I feel that's building value. And I I don't take any salary at the beginning because I've got, I haven't built any value yet in the business, yeah. often when I'm starting a company, right? So there's that similar mindset. Yes, you might get a salary from day one, but you, you want to bring value. And I think that's something people could pick up on as a really useful insight there. That If you want to do well as an entrepreneur or, you know, as an intrapreneur, if you want to think that way thinking about how you can bring value um, and how every and i love the point you're making about your father asking you have you have you earned your salary today um and, and you can say oh i turned up right well you know, i turned up in some people's case for some jobs that's it they just need to turn up and they will get paid at the end of the month whether or not the business does well but you've done exceedingly well i think because of this approach were your parents entrepreneurs uh no but my father who was um you know, he, he and his mother left Scotland at a very young age. He was 17, and then they um, just literally sold everything and, and left on a ship to New Zealand. And that sort of, you know, s- sell everything, start again from scratch attitude 
Um, I think that's um, been a big part of his upbringing and what he brought to me. Um, he's since gone on to be entrepreneurial in sort of later years. So he set up his own business after he retired from the corporate world. Um, and so you know, he he's doing that now um, and always looking for you know, how, to, how to invest, what are the things he can do differently. So he's got a few investment things that he's playing with as well. So he's, um, yeah, he's, he's an entrepreneur now very much. And I think his, you know, that, that whole leaving one country and moving to another at a very um, young age was quite a um, pivotal part of his upbringing too. I always like to ask this question of my guests. Do, do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred? It's, it's a very good question. And, and I know having listened to your podcast a few times, I've known, I know you are, we always ask that question. Uh, look, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I know that sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, but um, I think you have to be um, born a certain way um, and have that attitude, but you can hone your skills. Um, so I'd, I'd say it's a personality thing. So it probably does lean to the, to the born side more. Um, but you know, a lot of people just don't have the opportunity. So I think, you know, it's, you have to sort of hone your skills, which is where the breeding comes in. Um, you know, if you think about great athletes, they've got to have some sort of DNA in there that's going to help them be successful, but then they need to, um, to work hard to get there. So it's probably a bit of both, but I'd say personality sort of comes from being born a certain way. I think um, for the listeners to grasp, I mean, the, the loyalty program systems and businesses that you've built have actually become world leaders in, in the loyalty scheme space. But maybe you could tell the audience a little bit about your you know, external entrepreneurial experience um, as well as your internal. What, what, what experience have you had building businesses outside of core businesses like Air New Zealand? Yeah, look, so I, um, I've been in this loyalty space for, for quite some time, um, but equally... I have had the opportunity to just sort of step out and create something myself, um, partly through uh, you know, a situation in business that led to me having some free time. Um, and so I took the opportunity to set up a business with some, uh, some colleagues, um, which was, uh, you know, it, it's still, still operating. I'm now a, uh, the non-exec chairman of, um, so I play a little part part in that business still. Um, but, you know, setting that up, thinking about what was the problem we were going to try and solve, um, working on the, the, the business concept, pitching new ideas to potential clients, all of that. So, um, that was, that was a lot of fun. So we bootstrapped that, did it our, did it ourselves. Um, and it's got to the point now where it's starting to build some, some momentum about four years after launch. Um, so, so yeah, so look, I've, I've had experience and it's, it's hard, right? It's really hard when you're trying to do it all yourself. Um, also, you know, the, the, the business problem that we saw and then the opportunity that we were trying to, trying to uh, insert ourselves in wasn't an easy one to do so. Right. And we also came in at a time when the business world is going through some challenges, um, and that, that makes it hard. So I think, you know, even though you've got a cracking idea, um, you've got some really smart people to, that you're working with, 
actually getting that momentum, getting going is, um, is really, really difficult. Um, I never forget when I was at my university course, one of the papers I did was um, in my final year of university was um, called entrepreneurship. Um, and so I never forget the, this concept of, you know, 75% of companies don't survive the first five years of startup. They never get through that valley of death, <laughs> you know, the negative cash flow before they start getting positive cash flows. So having, having been through that myself, I know, know it's hard. Um, and I think, yeah, reinforces my belief in make, working hard inside a company to make sure I'm constantly delivering value because you know, an owner has given me the responsibility to, to drive value for them. And so I need to respect that and try and work as hard every day to um, ensure that we're moving forward. I think it's actually one of the reasons I um I, I sometimes have an issue with business schools. It's funny how they they do teach you these things. Seventy five percent of companies don't don't survive. I mean, in some respects, I, I didn't know that stuff when I started out. If I had, I probably wouldn't have started. And uh, paralyzing. So, yes, yeah, so some, some part. But what I, I think the, the the element that you're talking about there that that is the the benefit of any failure is the learnings that you can have. I mean, as a as a person now, if yes. I went. First of all, I don't think your company would give me a job, but if they did, um, the learnings I've had uh, from, from all the failures that I've had would make me a better manager, would make me a better leader, you know. And so sometimes failing, I, I love hiring people that have actually failed doing a startup. Um, and, mm. I, and I look forward to the time they go again. And, and in the meantime, maybe they come and work with me, but their lessons of failure often uh, are lessons that the business that they're working for um, can leverage, right? So that's why it's good, like you say, a bit of downtime, you go start something, succeed or fail, it doesn't really matter. It's just understanding, uh, first of all, how hard it is to build something. And then, of course, as you come back into the fold of working within a corporate environment, you also appreciate that business that you're working for because you know how hard it is to build up a business that you're the CEO of today is hard. You know, it's not an easy thing to create, right? Hundred percent. I, I love I've, um, the Israeli government. Um, I think I don't know how much you know about what they do, but they support a lot of startup businesses in their country. And they one of the things that they do do is um, you know say to entrepreneurs, go out there, kick goals, work hard, try, experiment, and if you fail, we've got you back, sort of thing. Um, and and failure is part of the learning process in their culture. Um, and you know, if you look at the amount of startups that come out of Israel and, and then do do great work on the global stage, I think um, knowing that there is a um, a bit of a safety net is a really powerful thing. Sorry, I've just had a whole lot of background noise. Did that just interrupt? Doesn't matter. It's okay. I think my listeners are used to real life happening in the background these days, considering that we're all in lockdown at some point. So don't worry, um, people will forgive us. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, do you, do you? I mean, the fail we have your back point. Um, for, for the listeners that don't know, I mean, I also know quite a lot about the Israeli startup scene. It is fascinating how how they're, um, mm. they're pioneering and innovation side of their uh, ecosystem. But do you take that mantra when in inside your own company? I mean, how how do you how do you allow failure to happen when when you're a big company and you're the ceo of that company it's not like you can really let too much failure happen right so how, how do you innovate within a corporate environment yeah look um, we we try to think like a startup we really do i mean it sounds really um cliched i know <laughs> so even me, me saying the words i feel a bit embarrassed but but we really do try to think that way uh, we talk about 
when we launch um, a new product or initiative, how do we launch something that is, um, you know, a product that we're happy with, but you know, isn't necessarily the perfect finished article just yet. Um, and then iterate, and if it's rubbish, you know, close it down. Um, so I think too many organisations have this culture of um, trying to get things perfect from day one, uh, which takes time and money. How do you think much more like a startup and launch first and iterate? And so that's very much our mantra. Um, and so a lot of the things we've done over the last few years have been getting things to market as quickly as possible um, and then and then iterating it. So it's um, you know, that agile culture. I think that's something that you can learn from startup environment. Um, don't let the big company culture get in the way of um, speed to market. Um, that's important. And obviously, you know, we're, we're a loyalty business, uh, but my parent company is an airline, you know, and there's certain things in, a, in an airline where you um, you need to be slow because you've got to make sure you're safe. But you know, in a digital data business that I'm running, um, you know, we don't have that, those same uh, requirements. So we've got to be um, you know, make sure that the risk isn't just at, at the same level as it would be for keeping an airplane in the sky. <laughs> it needs to be balanced and apportionate to the to the business that you're in. So that's something that I think is um, important as well. Um, so we, yeah, we are very much like that. I um, like to keep pushing the teams to to be as fast as they possibly can to make their own decisions. Don't be don't be slow. Don't make uh, all decisions come up to me. You know, I'd like to try and give give the team autonomy to make their own decisions so we can move quickly. And then when things don't work that's fine. That's just part of the process. So don't, I don't want anyone to feel like they're going to get shot for screwing up. That's another important, important fact as well. How do you um, create that environment where failure is okay? It's just part of it, part of the learning process. So it's up to, up to me as the CEO to be, be clear and make the team feel safe to uh, take those risks and get things done. So I think that's, you, you sort of set the agenda from the top, I think in that environment. One of the many reasons I wanted to have you on as a guest is I, I, I do want to smash this perception that an entrepreneur is, is someone that starts a business on their own as if that's the only way to be an entrepreneur. And I think what you're talking about is concept of basically bringing entrepreneurial spirit, insights and ability into an organisation is, is, is just as much an entrepreneurial route as any. And so for a lot of people out there that are listening that want to be entrepreneurs, you can go work for a company and be an entrepreneur. And you're kind of an example of that to me. Um, but I, I think when you're talking about um, you know, letting people make their own decisions, how, how do you manage the fallout? Is it, how, do you, how, do you, is it, how do you manage that? I mean, I just think from, I mean, I know today, for example, Facebook still have on their wall, um, you know, um, move fast and break things. But then they got into trouble. They got into trouble for that because they might have broken the election, you know. So, 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 yeah. they might have actually broken democracy by mistake. So, you know, that's an extreme example. But and that's my opinion. So, don't sue me, Facebook. Um, but, but you know, what, what, um, what? You know, how do you, how do you have that mantra of you know, move fast and break things without actually breaking anything? 
Oh, I think you, you, you're going to get told off um, by your customers in, in a way, right? They're going, to, they're going to leave you if you're slow moving um, and not innovative. And, and, and if you don't show that you're listening, you, you, you're really going to fail. So it's kind of you're stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea on this one. Um, but if I, I, I tend to err on the side of um, trying things, pushing boundaries, um, but then learning fast, listening and, and, and course correcting as you go. Right. So I think, I think you tend to get a lot of um, forgiveness from customers. If you're, um, you know, you are listening and, and, and you genuinely trying to improve the, pro- the customer proposition for them. So I think that that's fine. If, if you got that culture, um, for us, it's, it's a huge part of what we do. We have a um, 5,000 customer uh, panel. And so we go to that group, we test ideas with them, we bring them into our office, we try to think about how do we design our products and our customer service so that it's always getting better and, and that you know, the customer sees that improvement all the time. I think that's how you kind of win their trust. Um, and that, and then, then it gives you some permission to, to have some failures along the way right? because you, you, you are trying to do a good job for them. Um, and you, you really have to earn that trust. I, I like talking about um, earning the trust of customers. I think that's a really important um, um, attribute of success, um, whether that's earning the trust of your staff or your customers, it's the same real thing. Um, and you don't, you don't build it, you, you have to earn it every single day, um, and if you do a good job, then they'll accept failures every now and then because you, they realise that you're trying to do a good job. I saw a quote I really liked the other day about loyalty and it was the whole like the most statistically the most loyal customers have had a bad experience with you and it's how you dealt with that problem that actually made them loyal as opposed to like you know that if they've never had a problem with you they're not as loyal as the ones that have and you fixed it which I think is really fascinating because most people see loyalty as this kind of I, I, I see the same way with marriage, you know, like I, I've, I have plenty of arguments with my wife and, and I was, thank God, because it, that helps us resolve issues, right? So the people that never have arguments, in my view, are the ones that get divorced. <laughs> you yeah. Know, or, or, yeah, so. uh, yeah, that's true. I, it's funny that point about, um, you know, failure and, and how you recover. Uh, I remember going years and years ago to a, um, just you just just making that comment re- reminded me, but it was an, an Amazon um, executive talking many many years ago, probably five six seven years ago more, talking about this concept of um, planned outages. Um, <laughs> so they they didn't actually do it, but they said, you know what? If we actually plan to have an outage, and then we're all ready to go, ready to recover fast, we're going to win the loyalty of our people more than um, if things are fine. So, um, but. Interesting concept. I, I think though there's difference between technical failure and customer failure. So um, if you're, uh, yeah, there's a lot of research around people are more likely to forgive a, a technical failure um, than they are a customer service failure. And so um, yeah, think about your own experiences going to a restaurant. If the, if the coffee wasn't right, um, but the customer service was amazing and they recovered fast, you'll, you'll go back and trust, give them another crack at, serving you a good coffee um, but if the, the coffee was amazing but the staff were rude and surly you're probably not going to forgive that so loyalty um, you know, does come from 
you know, good customer service, and then nobody forgive the occasional technical failure. And if you do a really good job in the recovery with service, then you know you will win their loyalty. Um, so loyalty is about two things. It's about both behavioural loyalty and ideally emotional loyalty, right? Where you make people uh, want to come back and spend their money with you. Um, it's not just behaviourally loyal where they feel captive. There's no choice. Um, so you, you need to deliver on both fronts. Um, I guess we've got this far without talking about COVID too much, but you know how how do you innovate in uh, an era like now as a, as a leader of a of a business that is involved with travel as well? I mean, how how do you how do you innovate right now? What's what's the guidelines for anyone out there struggling? Any thoughts? Yeah, look, um, I think there's a couple of things. One is um, obviously COVID is a really uh, the ultimate sort of um, challenge for almost every industry um, and every household in the world right now. So it's, it's a really tricky time. Um, but you, you just can't be paralyzed by it. You've got, to, you've got to be able to think, how do we survive? How do we keep being successful? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky in a way that as a loyalty business, we've got 800 partners. So we've, we've got our own sort of hedge where we've got a lot of different companies in different sectors. And so that's pretty powerful. Um, but we're also already a very much a digital business. So everything that we do within to, in terms of internally, how we operate, it's digital, um, but also the, um, the apps and websites, et cetera, that customers interact with are all, are all digital. So we, we were almost um, COVID ready going into this. So able to work from home to still operate and function as a team because we had that high level of trust with our people um, we were able to operate quite successfully with the teams and then with our customers having all those digital tools in place means that we were already quite well placed uh, going into it um, and I think ready to rebound. So all the projects and opportunities that I've had before, I'm still working full steam on right now. So nothing's really changed terribly much. Um, it's interesting, I talked to a lot of other friends and companies and um, if they weren't digital, if they didn't have the trust of their customers before, they're playing really big catch up now because um, they're having to try and get customer engagement. They're trying to have to build digital relationships, and you know, it takes time to earn that trust, as I was saying before. So, um, you know, I think I think that's um, that's something we were lucky in that we already had that digital level of engagement and trust um, going into it. So, should places quite well for coming out at the other side for people that don't know asia miles of course i i lived in asia so i don't you basically you know you can't avoid what you do um i think everyone's a member uh, that i know in asia of of your of your program but how does it actually work so you've got 800 partners and these are people that you can redeem the miles that they have with right but maybe for my audience just give them a grasp of, of what you're actually doing asia miles sure so look, it's, um, I mean, 800 partners where you can accumulate um, miles for various things and then, and then you can use those miles for, for other things. So whether it be flights or um, when they're available <laughs> because there's not a lot of flights operating right now but um, or for physical things um, or services. So you can redeem for, you know, in our uh, retail store as well. So there's a, it's essentially we're, we're a, a broker between 
you know, a bunch of places where you can earn and place a bunch of places where you can use those miles. And you know, we're lucky in that we've got access to things like free holidays, which are pretty motivating for, for consumers. Uh, so a lot of the brands that choose to join the uh, Asia Miles Coalition are trying to leverage that engagement that we already have. Um, so if certain sectors, maybe they don't have quite the same level of engagement um, without wanting to pick on different industries, but you know, maybe some, some brands like insurance, for example, um, they don't have a lot of high engagement. So participating in Asia Miles gives them that, that opportunity to uh, you know, leverage the engagement that we have. And so that's pretty much how it works. Um, you know, my, I operate the currency, so I'm a bit like um, you know, the uh, governor of the Bank of England with uh, controlling a currency. You know, I, I have a point supply, which is the money supply. Um, and then I think about inflation in terms of how the, how the currency is used. Um, and if the members love the rewards that we provide, then they want to collect them, which then drives them towards the partners in the program to, to earn more. So it's pretty pretty simple business model really but simple to um, you because you've built it but for a lot of people i think they're still probably listening trying to get their head around it how many members do you have about 12 million um at the moment and we're always looking to to grow that but yep 12 million 12 million members uh connecting to 800 partners that's 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 big numbers actually yeah it's pretty big and um, a lot of people talk about certainly in hong kong how you know it's the second currency after the uh, hong kong dollar Totally. Um, well, I know. I know. You know. You have partners like American Express, and I know people have literally got on American Express cards so they can get the miles. Yes, it, it that's all links, true. right? It all interlinks. But it's interesting you, you discuss it as a currency. I mean, I, I'm fully aware of loyalty. Um, I mean, I, I uh, tried to do a partnership with your organisation uh, decades ago, so so I've always been a fan. But it's interesting, isn't it? I think for, for seeing it as a potential currency, what do you think of the rise of things like cryptocurrency? Do you, do you, do you see this as a, a potential long-term route for you guys, or is it a completely different animal? Uh, interesting. I mean, I'm not too sure about whether crypto is something that we would want to play in or whether it's a a competitor, maybe, don't know. But um, certainly the uh, technology, underlying technology, um, is, is interesting. So we, we use the um, Hyperledger technology um, to, to, to sort of um, manage the back end associated with issuing points um, and redeeming points. So there's some useful applications in there which, um, which we've been able to deploy uh, in the program to quite good use. I I, um, I was want to pick your brains as a business person and go deeper into the business, but I, I want to hear your story a little yeah. bit more. I'm interested in like how how you've uh, progressed as an as an entrepreneur inside companies, and do you think along your journey have you experienced good luck, bad luck? How how has luck as a as a concept played a role in your life? Look, I've been thinking about that a lot. Right when we first had a chat, and we said, "Look, come on, come on the uh, the podcast." Um, it's been a, been a really interesting question to ask myself. Um, and I think, um, I like to think that you make your own luck to a certain extent, which is, I talked a bit about it before when we were chatting earlier about putting yourself in the right places to be able to seize opportunities. Um, because I think, you know, people can have opportunities and they just pass, let them pass by. Um, and so I think to a certain extent you have to, you have to make your own luck by being 
being in the right place, then you have to be lucky as well, right? <laughs> so, because um, those opportunities might just never come by. But I think it comes back to this whole thing, are you born a certain way to, to be open to those things? And when you are open to them, you, tend to, you do tend to find uh, you know, those lucky moments. Um, so if I think about my whole career, and just to sort of think about some examples, so the fact that I got asked as, as a 21-year-old by the chief commercial officer at the, uh, the airline to come in and you know, launch a loyalty program, I, if I hadn't have joined the company and been in that place, maybe, and, and then maybe I wouldn't have been given the opportunity. And if he didn't see me as someone that would be capable of doing it, I may not have had the opportunity to come my way. But I was pretty lucky, really, to, to get that get that gig. Um, he told me I had four weeks to develop a, a loyalty program and, and, and then launch it. And so ended up taking five weeks, so slightly missed the target. Yeah, so that they fired you on the spot right, right, right there and then. Come on, I know exactly, but you know, I think I think um, having that um, positive mindset, I, I I tend to even right through this COVID crisis, you know, this whole concept is your glass half full or half empty. I I don't even like that. I tend to talk to people about why why do we want to be halfway? What's wrong with a full glass? Let's think about the full opportunity we've got in front of us, right? Let's not, let's not already think about the glass being half full. That's negative in itself. You know, let's, let's think about the full opportunity that we've got, right? So I think that mindset about being open to opportunity then can make you open to seize those lucky moments when they come along. Um, it's very much my philosophy. Um, and yeah, so you tend to, I think, you find those lucky moments if you're open to it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's all, what you're talking in part there is about perspective, right? I mean, it's a question of how you view the luck, the good or the bad. Yes, sure. Do you, do you feel yeah, like you've had, you've had bad luck? In... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of part of learning as well. So I, I left a um, perfectly good job in Australia to go and work for a Canadian company um, as their CEO in, in Australia, New Zealand. Um, great opportunity just to be run, to run a business, about 300 people across three different offices. Um, and then they had a existential crisis in their home market um, and the business went from sort of a market cap um, dropped, dropped by 90% overnight. Um, and so, they just literally had to cut because they, they, they couldn't pay their bills. And so um, I went from being in something really interesting to, to through no, no fault of my own, suddenly um, being out of my ear. Um, and so that bad luck, that's what actually led me to launch the uh, entrepreneurial business that I set up with some friends because I was all of a sudden needing to, uh, to go and do something different. So it was a bad luck. But it was also good luck because it led me to um, you know, having, having to explore and do something different. So I think those bad luck moments are just as informative and really useful as well, right? Because you know, it's not necessarily through um, anything you've done yourself. It can, it can lead to um, you know, new doors opening. Totally. I think it's uh, something I want my listeners to always try and pick up on um, in, in these podcasts is, is that there's an element of 
even the bad luck is is actually good luck and so you know having that moment because you're 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 incredibly um talented and employable so sometimes when something goes wrong it's actually a chance to break free for a moment and and use your entrepreneurial skills externally for a while and and test them out and sharpen them up as you think get an opportunity to go back in so so what how did you how did you when you were doing your own business uh external entrepreneur uh activity how did you decide um when to you know go back into working for for an organization was it was it just too good an offer to refuse or did it just feel like the right company to go and work with and this this is interesting maybe going back to that question that you raised at the start too about what to tell young people um what I would say is that the older you get in life, I mean, the more um, your cash demands go up, right? Um, and the and and when you've got you know a family, children involved, um, you know your I think your risk appetite has to change a little bit just because you you really have to think about you know, providing for your family. And I think when you're younger, um, you you've got less of a, of an issue, less, less to worry about because you can, you, you don't need to worry about making sure your children are, are still able to go to school and have food and have to do fun things. So, um, so you do feel like you, I think when you're older, you have more responsibilities that, that maybe just makes it harder to take risks. Um, so I would, I would sort of look back to myself when I was younger and the advice I'd give my younger self, which is relevant to your younger audience is, you know, you don't have to worry as much. Take those risks. Be be adventurous. Seize those opportunities while you can, because it gets harder later on because there's the risk of failure um, is quite um, quite quite high. So for me, um, you know, I, I gave it a good good crack, but I needed to be able to um, support my family without having too much damage. To be honest, um, and so when an opportunity came up actually take on this role to become CEO of Asia Miles and move to Hong Kong again. Um, it was too compelling to to uh, say no to. So it's tricky, right? You, know, you wonder about what might have happened if I'd uh, just hung it out and uh, gave it a bit longer and maybe not been too worried about the, uh, you know, the lifestyle changes that might have had to come while I built it. But, um, yeah, you, it is, it is, there's more to think about the older you get and the more responsibilities you have uh, it's it's definitely easier when you're younger for sure i think it's a really important message for people to pick up on there i mean and i think it's always i i try to say what you're saying too in, in, in i think it's when you're older and you're telling younger people you know you've got less to worry about go and do it it's hard when you're young to actually see it <laughs> but perspective yes. when you get older you realize and I, i'm the same i mean i i left uh, home and school at 15 and started a business you know there's no way I could take the sort of risks I took back then uh, now I mean even physically I literally lived in a one-bedroom dive I wouldn't want my son yeah. to live in that environment <laughs> and so you know it's uh it just becomes not about you as you get older partly you know and, and it can be about yeah. you when you're younger so um did you, did you have it's kids selfish. young did you have kids young uh I had them in in my uh sort of mid thirties. So, um, so it was probably about normal. So you, had, today's the, you world. had the freedom in the early years. That's why you could, you know, be, be moved to LA and moved to the UK by yep. Air New Zealand. Cause you, you kind of could, could do that. Right. And you could just experiment and try those things. And, 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 but well, of course, if you had a family, a young family in New Zealand, that would have been a lot harder, right? You would. Yeah. 
So that's kind of the point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I it's funny. I've gone, I've gone through, I've done 12 international moves in my career. So wow. even now I'm still, I still feel like I'm pretty entrepreneurial and pretty open to ideas and, yeah. and open to go different places. So my children have had six international moves as well. So they've, they've, I think become what you might call third, third country children. <laughs> they're not really British, Kiwi, Aussie, Hong Kong. Um, they're not really quite sure what they are, but um, I think that's interesting uh, for them too, that they've had this international perspective. But when I first moved, I went with a couple of suitcases and that was it. And then um, I, now, I've, now I need a 40 foot container. Um, huh. and, uh, so it's quite funny how you pick up more and more stuff. It gets harder to, to do, but, Kids but get, kids get bigger too. They're forty foot containers to keep the kids in, right? I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. But that's do, do you, I'd actually love to interview your kids sometime. It'd be interesting to hear their perspective on this, you know, twelve locations um, kind of concept. And that, that is, it, is it? Do they see it as a positive experience, or do they see it as well, I don't know where my home is? Yeah, look, it's funny though. In terms of you ask them, I ask them regularly, you know, because well, what what do you sort of identify with? Um, and um, you know, it changes over time, so they're not entirely sure. Um, and I genu- genuinely think that they are, you know, third third country children, um, which I think is really cool. Actually, they're, I mean, they're lucky for me because yeah. um, they've they've got friends all over the world. Um, they've had to be resilient when they've sort of get pulled out of one school and dropped into a new one in a different country mm. um, teaches you some good life skills couldn't agree more I mean it's it's very interesting isn't it it's also I mean I have this conversation with my wife a lot because we've got a three-year-old I know your kids are older right how old are your kids so I've got eight 10 16 and 17 wow good spread there well done <laughs> yeah but uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine four kids, but 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 uh, even having one there's this whole feeling that you want to give them everything, but you also don't want to give them too much. So that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Between like, you know, you want them to see the world, but you want them to have an anchor, I guess, you know, have some identity. So it's, uh, it's, yes. it's interesting. I think 100%. it's definitely one of the big things about being an entrepreneur is that freedom to live anywhere and do anything. So it's, um, it's, you've kept that going. I actually have that problem now myself and for listeners out there, I know that, and I know, I know a lot of people that want to start a business, but perhaps they're in a second tier city um, or, and they find there's not enough big and not a big enough market, but they don't want to move away from their family or they find it hard to, to I left England at 23 and moved to Hong Kong. It was the best thing I ever did, but it was seriously, mm-hmm. seriously hard because I had to leave my family and my friends behind, you know, and, and although they came to visit me, you lose that connection. So there is always trade-off, isn't it? They get that international experience, they got that passport, but there's also that connection sometimes that gets lost, right? It is hard, and that's one of the things, like with COVID, I've got, you know, family, parents in Australia, parents in, New- oh, my wife's parents in Australia, my parents in New Zealand. Um, and so, you know, we're not able to travel to see them and they're not able to travel to see us. Um, you know, so it's, it is tricky. They're, they're the, some of the trade-offs you make when you live in different places. I think it's interesting, though. Um, I think the world's going to get, uh, you know, cities, the role of cities are going to change in, in this in this COVID world. I was um, looking, you know, talking to a friend in, in the States and, you know, they were saying, well, gee, I don't have to go to work in downtown New York anymore. I can live anywhere I want and I don't have to do a commute anymore. Um, so maybe I should just move to somewhere nicer where the weather's warmer and the taxes are lower. 
<laughs> you know, so you don't necessarily, so maybe a second test city suddenly does come into play um, if you don't have to be in a physical office environment as much. Entrepreneur and you talking right there. there there's a, mm. There is a big opportunity around that, I agree. I mean, I live in yes, a city, sure. and so you know, it's definitely it's definitely changed. You know, there is a feeling that people mm. will live in the country. However, that has happened before. People have uh, you know moved away from cities before. P- pollution, for example, was one of the main reasons in the 1900s, right? I mean, people didn't want to live in polluted yes. cities, so they moved out to the country only to come back later and fix the pollution. Because I think there is always a need for human connection. I guess. Yes, I agree. So, but it's definitely yeah, an interesting time, and you, you, you're identifying something there that I think is definitely going to be the trend. City's going to change. Well, look, I, I could talk to you all day. I, I appreciate your insights and, and your uh, your your story. I wonder if we could just end. You kind of talked about this. I always like to end it with this concept of what you tell your younger self, which you've mentioned there. Um, you know, worry less and 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 uh, you know, just enjoy being young and and take risk. But if you were looking at yourself. Um, would would you give any other advice? And also, just finally, um, if you were a book, what chapter are you on, and what's the title? Yeah, look, I think I covered that younger self thing. I hundred percent think that you need to need to uh, take your time and and explore and be be more open to to different experiences. Um, because I remember when I came out of university, I couldn't wait to get a job and get, just get working. I feel like the world was passing me by. I wanted to get stuck in. And, and um, you know, I actually didn't do an OE, like I talked about before. I was, I just wanted to get working. Um, and so I, you know, my younger self, I'd just say slow down, take, be, be open to ideas, take, take those chances while you can. Um, I, I, the interesting thing about being, a, if I was a book, um, I, I really like the story of, not that I like their product, uh, but Colonel Sanders, who started his business as a 70-something-year-old entrepreneur, right, KFC. Um, and, you know, he went from a complete career change to building one of the world's biggest um, fast food restaurants um, at, at, a, at, a, at a ripe old age, really. Um, and I think I'd like, I, I'm always open. I always think there's more to do. So keeping yourself young, open to ideas, um, so I, for me, if I was a book, I'm probably still in the, in the, in the early half of the book, um, because I think there's still more time to, to figure out what comes next. Um, if you keep open to new trends, keep open following new music, um, keep yourself young, you know, age is no barrier anymore. Um, I think that's, um, that's what I would say. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights. I'm going to sum up um, some of the th- things that I've taken from today's podcast. Um, I, I do like this uh, concept of like long-term can wait that you said at the beginning of the podcast. It's, it, and you've kind of at the end also kind of said the same element, which is people do have time. And I think when you're younger, in the COVID area, it's also an interesting point to you know maybe somehow enjoy the moment having three or four months off sitting at home watching netflix is there's worse out there i've seen memes about people going to war at this time you know like it's it's not as bad as you think it is bad don't get me wrong but i think equally there is some um especially if you're young um there's all these disaster stories floating around about how you're never going to be able to own a home and how you know there's no job and and so on but equally um and i think this links to another thing that you've said which i really like which is you know there's no half empty or 
um, half full is just you know full of opportunity i think that's the t-shirt we need to make from this episode for you i think the full opportunity piece is is something that young and old need to keep in mind actually that um despite the difficult times there is a huge amount of opportunity and you've even mentioned some ideas i think uh, in this podcast that people could think about i like the um we no, uh, fail we have your back point that you brought up earlier i feel like that that should be a quote from the universe the universe is because I feel like failure is, al- is always going to lead to something better. Um, and so back to the bad luck, good luck point, you know, even bad luck can lead to, to good, good luck and vice versa. So I think the uh, 75% don't survive point is, uh, you know, write it down, remember it, and then be the 25%. That's, you know, mm-hmm. hold, hold out hope. I like, I like that whole concept. I like the point you mentioned whether you're, you know, working for yourself or working for yourself with inside someone else's business to kind of bring value. I think bring value really uh, resonates with me. And I think it's something that I, I know if people think about how they can bring value, they will, it will lead to success and it will make them feel fulfilled as opposed to what you can get out of something, but how can you bring value to it? So I've taken a lot from your insights today. I want to thank you for your time, Paul. I know you're a very busy man, so taking time out to talk to, to me and the audience is, is much appreciated. So thank you very much. No problem at all, Simon. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. I hope you found the insight from Paul today useful. If you did, please feel free to give us a comment or a like. Equally, if there's anybody out there that might find the insights from our podcast today useful, please share it. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you take the time to listen to us. We feel very lucky. Have a wonderful day.